Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back, listeners. We are really getting into this school year. I feel like this week is the week that a lot of schools are going back. I mean, they go back earlier and earlier, right? Yeah, I feel like it's changed so much. But then, like, we still have some school districts that still go back after Labor Day. So we still have, like, I know, such a wide I know. Well, like, I mean, we were still pretty busy, I think, well into, the, like, the third, fourth week of June with, like, yeah. lingering IEP meetings and things like that. Yeah, so... That's why we take July off, you guys. We just need a little reset. It's our oh, I heard only quote. month there is no school in session, other than I know. year-round school, like, which we do have a few of those. <laughs> right. And then, like, sometimes there's stuff that happens, like, with the extended school year. But I had yeah. heard a quote the other day. It was, like, sharpen your teeth so you remember your bite. And I was like, that was July for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're yeah, sharpening our true. teeth because we know our bite, right? Anyway. Enough of our shtick. We are, as always, I feel like we're always excited, overly joyed with today's guest because I think we're really going to get into a topic that I feel like a lot of people don't really recognize, and that's autism in girls. So Dr. Abene, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. Can you please give a brief introduction about yourself? Sure, yeah, and thank you for having me. I'm Dr. Abene. I am a clinical psychologist, and I specialize in working with neurodivergent individuals. Most of my clientele happens to be autistic, um, so I do therapeutic work and also adult autism assessments. That is so needed for adult assessments. I feel like a lot of people that should be our clients and are not our clients, there's so many of them need to be assessed. And part of the reason we started this podcast was so that we could just start these various conversations. And for us, really recognizing and being able to talk about the signs of autism in women, in females, and how it's been mischaracterized has been something that we've wanted to do for quite a long time. We're just really excited to have you on here. Yeah. And I, especially in the last few years, I've had a number of clients where, you know, we've been struggling to get an IEP for these young girls who have a diagnosis of autism, but are able to mask so well in the school setting that the school team just says, I don't see there being an issue. I don't see it impacting their school, but you know, they're so bright. They're able to compensate and mask so much that they just fall apart when they get home. And so we really wanted to kind of take some time to talk about what, how autism often manifests differently in girls than it does in boys, what masking is, and, you know, use your expertise to kind of showcase this a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited to talk about it. It's so needed. The information needs to be out there. So what would you say is the difference in the signs? Do you feel that girls would be misdiagnosed? Where do you kind of start? Yeah, well, first, I wanted to clarify a couple of things that I think are pretty important off the bat. So there do seem to be differences in the ways that autistic girls and autistic boys present. So there isn't Mm -hmm. any evidence as of now of a female autistic phenotype, Mm -hmm. meaning that 
there doesn't seem to be anything biologically or neurologically different between autistic people assigned female at birth and autistic people assigned male at birth. So that's important to know because that tells us that the differences in presentation between girls and boys are primarily due to our socialization of girls. Culture. Oh, okay. That's a great distinction. Yeah. So that's an important thing to remember. And then primarily what I'll be talking about here is what's called an internal presentation of autism, which is more common among girls and women, but it's also seen in boys and men and trans folks and non-binary folks. So it's not exclusive to girls and women, but tend to be more prevalent. Is that more internal versus external presentation of autism? So the external presentation is what we're kind of used to seeing in media. And when you think of autism, you kind of imagine those autistic boys that tend to be more noticeable in terms of behaviors. They seem more visibly different from their non-autistic peers. They might stim in ways that are more obvious or noticeable. They might speak less or not speak at all. They might show more distressed behaviors. So this is what we typically think of autism. But the other side of that is a more internal presentation of autism. So that's probably what you're guessing it is when the experience is internalized and less obvious to the average observer. So this might be because the person's special interests are considered to be more quote unquote acceptable. So they're less noticeable, largely because like you mentioned, there are much higher levels of masking or camouflaging. Um, So this allows them to blend in a lot better with their non-autistic peers. So if a parent is wondering, okay, do I have a neurodivergent, right, kiddo, would you suggest that they talk to the, you know, we get oftentimes the first person that the parent is able to talk to is the pediatrician. If they're really not getting anywhere with that person, would a private assessment be something that the parents should consider, and I'm speaking if they have a daughter, right? And if they believe, right? Because it, it's overwhelming for a parent, right? You have ADHD, you have dyslexia, you have dyscalculia, you have all these learning challenges, then you have your kiddo's brain and trying to understand like, oh, well, maybe it's different. But what is typical? Like, where would you recommend that they start? Yeah, it's a tricky thing because the autistic girls or people socialize as girls, they get missed for a lot of reasons. And it's largely because their behaviors aren't like problematic to the people around them. So they're not like causing quote unquote problems. And like you mentioned, it might be brought to someone's attention and they say, well, they're doing okay in school or they're bright or... Yeah, they don't have any like obvious behavioral problems. And then if you go to a pediatrician, they have their like checklist of like, do they need, Mm -hmm. well, okay, so rule out autism, but it's the parents and the caregiver that are seeing what's happening at home, where if an autistic girl is masking all day, they come home and like you said, have a huge meltdown or a shutdown. So it's really important that people at schools and pediatricians start listening to the parents and caregivers of like what's happening behind the scenes. But unfortunately, often they don't, in which case 
I would, if somebody has the means, recommend a private assessment, particularly from a provider who is, I would say, neurodiversity affirmative, meaning less mm. pathologizing and more familiar with the kind of nuanced expressions of autism. But that can be hard to find. I was just yeah. going to say, <laughs> can parents so, go and start? <laughs> so that conversation that parents often have with the school team where they're saying, you know, the minute she gets in the car or the minute, you know, my child gets in the car or gets home, complete meltdown or like you said, shut down, whatever the case may be. And the school's immediate reaction what is, well, it's probably something to do with the environment that they're now in. It has nothing to do with school, which we all know that's, you know, as you just explained, it's, it's not always the case, but there's a lot going on at school that kids internalize and they hit that tipping point, I guess. So when we find, we try to advise parents on like, just in general, better communication with the school, like how to better describe what their concerns are. Do you have like some language or examples of how parents can better describe like that this is not because of the home environment, that this is a result of what just happened at school? How would you like advise parents kind of describe that to their school team so that they can better understand? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think kind of highlighting some of the more educated the parent is on like these internal presentations of autism, the better, because then you have more of the language to describe like, you know, what you describe as shyness, I think is more mutism or, you know, pointing out the ways that people are kind of misinterpreting their behaviors, like in an external setting, in a public setting, I think is really helpful and highlighting that like, yeah, I think that this is what's happening. I think these are the ways that they're presenting at school. And I think that as soon as they get home, they're melting down because they've been controlling these behaviors so much at school. This is how you're telling me they're presenting at school. That's not actually how they present when they're outside of school. And so that tells me that they're putting a lot of energy into how they're presenting at school. And when they get home, they're having these big emotional outbursts and meltdowns and kind of highlighting what you've noticed that helps them. Like they need more quiet time or they tend to do function better when they have more like social support that's listening to them or things like that. But I think the more language that a parent has around these kind of nuances around the internal presentation, the more that will get through to the people at school. That's really helpful. Do you have like, I guess, some good examples of what a teacher might observe if a student is internalizing? Are there like good triggers that you can kind of explain? Like if a teacher is listening and is trying to say, okay, if they're internalizing, how do I know this is happening? Yeah, I think one word that causes so many problems, I think, for internalized presenters is shyness. Yep. (laughs) I think that so much is dismissed as shyness. And I think we need to start with closer at what that means, because I think that typically there's a lot of information behind that. So if a child is just typically more quiet or quote unquote shy, kind of paying closer attention to that. Like is the child seem like they're having difficulty talking in general when they need to be talking? Are they like avoiding answering questions or interacting with their peers? What do their friendships look like? I think this is a really important one. Autistic girls tend to have more non-autistic friends than autistic Mm. boys. 
which is part mm-hmm. of why get missed is because oh they're socially they're doing fine and look yeah friend group but if you look a little bit closer at those friendships they tend to be kind of more tumultuous oh interesting yeah the autistic girl might be having more problems with friends that you can't quite see on the surface so yeah noticing those kinds of subtle things that might suggest that they're they're struggling more than they're letting on so that requires a little bit closer of a look. You know, I've gotten teachers that say, well, yeah, I observe them on the class, on the playground and I see them from a distance, like talking with other girls or other peers. And when I've asked, well, what are they saying? You know, of course they're like, well, we have, we didn't get close enough to look, but like they're talking. So that must be socialization when we all know that like, just because kids are talking doesn't mean it's appropriate socialization or like positive socialization. So I guess like, that deeper dive is really important to see, like, is it that they are laughing and joking or playing a game or talking about their day? Or is there conflict in the words that they're saying? Yeah, a lot of my autistic women clients report in childhood having had friends that were mean to them. Mm. Point to like that one friend that they had in elementary school or middle school that was their best friend but or push them around or put them down Uh, and I think that that's pretty common it's really interesting to see like the dynamics right and to really understand because it could so easily especially when our girls have gone into high school and that's just par for the course right like oh girls are dramatic oh this is what's happening and what it is right it just kind of gets swept under the rug and it's like completely not that right (laughs) we have these students that are and we've talked about masking can you actually give uh, your definition of masking yeah masking is basically just concealing behaviors or adopting behaviors that allow a person to fit in socially it can be conscious behavior it can be unconscious but it's primarily done to avoid stigma or being seen as different in some way So essentially what it is, is kind of mimicking neurotypical forms of communication or interaction, like speech, language, body language. Mm -hmm. So it's effective in keeping a person safe, meaning like Mm -hmm. they don't stand out, they generally seem to fit in, but it takes an incredible amount of energy to do that. You have to pay such close attention to the behaviors of others. You're kind of taking note of what behaviors lead to positive outcomes socially, even if you don't know why, and then you have to control your behavior and just be constantly aware of like your body language and your facial expression and the words that you're using. It's exhausting. Um, and it definitely takes a huge toll. And such a unique coping mechanism, right? To have tried to have and fly under the radar. We see a lot of our kiddos that have uh, unique learning challenges, you know, they make it through elementary school, maybe even middle school and, and high school, they just hit a wall, you know, and sometimes when we have our girls, even with ADHD, and keep up and they're overwhelmed, it really starts to internalize. And then we start seeing the mental health issues, which I can imagine would be like the, how do they say the comorbidity, right? Do you see in the schools, and, and you may not, but do you see that Girls are being labeled potentially for IEP services under emotional disturbance rather than autism, or you just kind of see a mixed bag of clients. 
Yes, they are definitely more likely to be labeled with emotional disturbance. It's like mm-hmm. things that are secondary in my take on it is that the things that are secondary to this internalized autism presentation are the things that are noticed and they're misdiagnosed with mm-hmm. depression, anxiety, eating disorder, mm-hmm. Common, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. So that's what gets noticed. That's what gets labeled. And if you're missing the autism piece underneath it, the mm-hmm. treatment reports that you're getting are going to be very limited and they're only going to go so far. So that leads to a lot of frustration for people like trying to get help. Like I've been told, I'm, right. I've been told I have anxiety. I'm doing all the things I'm doing the treatments. I'm seeing the therapist and it's not really working. And that's really frustrating. And like you said, if they're masking that in and of itself, that energy is being drained as well, right? So there's very little more that they can go to somebody that can understand them like yourself. Dr. Bennett, if people had any questions, where can they find you if they wanted more information? So I'm part of a a group practice called LA Concierge Psychologist. If you go to laconciergepsychologist.com, that's the site for our practice. So we have all kinds of blog posts on there and information about the services we provide, therapy, assessment, those kinds of things. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. Amanda, do you have any other questions? No, I think you summed it up so well. I think it's so important. Hopefully we have a lot of teachers that are listening because I think one thing that is is sorely missed in, I don't know if it's the teacher training or unfortunately like, you know. I think updates. just in society. I, yeah, I just, yeah, yeah. And, and we could go on, but I, you know, we've already taken up so much of your time. That's why I was like, wait, Amanda, did you have any questions? But yeah, no, I, I think that we're so grateful for the work that you do and that you were able to come on and, and share your experiences. And, you know, you guys, if you have any questions, please reach out to her. Um, and then if you have any questions for us on the legal end, feel free to reach out to us on our social media. Have a good week, everyone. Take, take care, guys. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.